praise the Lord and welcome to St. Paul Baptist Church, where we are convincing the unconvinced to be convinced and make disciples as we connect, lift, and inspire you. I'm Reverend Kelly Baptist, and we are so excited to have you connect with us in our power-packed TNT study experience. You can engage with our DigiMinuters via the chat space in each of our online worship platforms. Let's study and grow together as our pastor, Dr. Robert Scott, takes us deeper into the Word. And be sure to stay tuned after study for more information about what's happening with St. Paul. Hello, everybody. Forgive us for these technical difficulties as far as trying to get on Facebook. We're certainly delighted and elated that you all have joined us as far as Bible study is concerned. So, what I want to talk about today is being a disciple. So I want you to do me a favor, if we could. Let's turn to the text, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. And thank you so much, again, for your patience. As we prepare to go through Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 18, I will read the scripture. I'm going to ask that you will highlight certain words and or phrases. Starting at verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, I want you to highlight the words, you have always obeyed. Not as in my presence only, circle the word presence, but now much more in my absence, circle the word absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I want you to underline the phrase, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I want you to highlight praise his good pleasure. Verse 14, doing all things without complaining and disputing. Highlight praise without complaining and disputing. Verse 15, that you may become blameless. Circle the word blameless, harmless. Circle the word harmless. Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights of the world. Highlight the phrase, you shine as lights of the world. Holding fast the word of God. Highlight that phrase, holding fast the word of life. So that I may rejoice, so the word rejoice, in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Verse 17. Yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, you would underline that phrase, I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. I like that. I mean, underline that. I am glad and rejoice, so the word rejoice, with you all. For the same reason you also be glad and rejoice. So the word rejoice. Then if you would draw a line from the word rejoice in verse 18 to the word rejoice in verse 17. Then draw a line from the word rejoice in verse 17 to the word rejoice in verse 16. All right. 
Let's get ready to start our time of study. And when we look at verse 12, therefore, my beloved, you have always obeyed me. This is Paul really talking about the conduct of the disciples at Philippi. The conduct as far as the Christians at Philippi really scores them an A. And Paul is saying that I am glad to hear that your spiritual behavior with each other is very consistent. The Philippians did not mind allowing for their light to shine both in private and in public. Their obedience was consistent. So for them, Christianity was not some here for me. They were putting their lives on the line every day to obey the word of God. And they weren't obeying the word of God looking for something in return like a job or good health or money or blessings or favor or a new house. God knew their heart and God knew that their obedience was consistent. Unfortunately for some of us today, our obedience is temporary. What do I mean by that? We only obey God because we're looking for God to do something for us. And then we stop obeying God. Or we act like Christians around other Christians, but we don't act like Christians around non-Christians. What do you look like when you're not around other church folks? What do you look like when you're not around other disciples? So now watch this. Paul says, not just in my presence only, but also in my absence. Paul got a good report on how Philippians behaved when he was not around. How the Spirit of God was sustaining them when he was not with them. It is good to have a good report on you when people aren't watching. And it is good for Paul to have this report given to him even though he's not with the Philippians every day. What do people say about you who know you on an everyday basis? This is what being a disciple is all about. So they know something here as we look at where he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. A good report does not mean you have arrived. A good report means you're heading in the right direction. Work out your own salvation. Okay? They had to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I want to unpack something because I want to clear up something when we talk about working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Because it's probably understood that this command relates to the personal salvation of the saints at Philippi. That they were told to work out, to put into practice in their daily living what God had worked in them by the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to hear what Paul isn't saying. Paul said there to not, uh, Paul did not tell them to work
salvation. God had already given them salvation. They're now to show people that they're saved. All right? So let me drill down on this. Paul is not saying you got to work to earn your salvation. Salvation, remember, it is a gift from God. You can't earn it. It is freely given. It is freely received. It is a gift for any man or boy or girl who accepts Jesus Christ as his or her Lord and Savior. However, once you're saved, you should get busy working. You don't work to get saved. You work because you are saved. So the phrase work out means working through to full completion. In other words, don't be satisfied with just accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. We got to allow Jesus to become Lord. To become the ruler of our lives. And this only happens when we work it out. Alright? Now, let me tell you what working out looks like. It's like when you go to a gym. Okay? It's like when you go to the gym to exercise. You don't exercise to get muscle. You already have muscle. But you exercise to develop your muscle more fully. Let me say that again. You don't go to the gym to exercise to get muscle. That's how you move. But you go to the gym to exercise to develop those muscles more fully, to get rid of the fat and the extra cover. All right? So watch this. When Paul talks about working out our salvation, you don't work to get salvation. You go into life as far as working out your salvation because you are saved to develop the salvation more fully. Alright? Now, when Paul uses the phrase with fear and trembling, what Paul is talking about saying is, I got to work out my salvation with seriousness. With seriousness. And sincerity. We should not be cavalier or nonchalant about doing mission and ministry. We should not be cavalier and nonchalant about evangelism and discipleship. We should live in such a way that God receives glory instead of criticism. So this is what it means to work out with fear and tremor. Right? Let's go on down. Let's look at verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. The reason we are able to work out our salvation is because the Spirit is in all of us and is working on us and through us. Now here's the blessing. God will never give you and me an assignment without giving us the equipment to handle it. That's a shout. That bless me. God will never give us an assignment without giving us the equipment. Remember when, when God called Moses on the backside of the Median Desert and God told Moses, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. 
And Moses started coming up with all these excuses. And God just started providing him equipment. God said, you talk about you can't speak, but I've already prepared your brother Aaron to be your spokesperson. Well, God, who shall I tell him to? I got a name. Tell him I am that I am. Well, God, I don't have anything to fight with. What's that you got in your hand? It's a rock. Throw it on the ground. So, check this out. God will not give you an assignment without giving you the equipment to bring the assignment to pass. Whether it's physical, emotional, financial, or relational. The best equipment that God has given all of us is the Holy Spirit to help us to do God's will. And there are several things that the Holy Spirit will do. First of all, the Holy Spirit will energize us, give us power to accomplish God's will. The other thing the Holy Spirit will do is enlighten us. The Holy Spirit will, at times, bring passages or sermons back to our remembrance to keep us on the right path. The Holy Spirit will encourage us, remind us of what we can do to keep us going, to keep us persevering. And then the Holy Spirit will enthuse us. That means the Holy Spirit will make us excited about doing the work of God, the will of God, and carrying out the word of God. All right? Energize, encourage, enlighten, enthuse. All right? Now, for it is God who works in you, that's the Spirit, to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now, check this out. If the will is not there, ain't no work going to get done. The Holy Spirit is present and in charge. When that happens, there's a desire to please God. Now, hear me and hear me well. The depth of the desire is in direct correlation to how much control you and I give the Holy Spirit. Which means the more we walk in the Spirit, the more we desire to live for God. So the Spirit has to develop the desire in us. How does this happen? It happens in our devotional time, in prayer, in reading the Bible. Not just once a week, worship service online. Or not just once a week Bible study. Or not just a once a week Sunday school. You don't develop or fertilize or water the spirit like that. Okay? It can't be done once a week. You can't get it on Sunday morning. You can't get it at Sunday morning live or Sunday school. You can't get it just in Bible study. There has to be, hear me, consistent prayer and Bible reading regimen if you really want to grow. You just can't do it one day a week. And the reason why we have so many weak, anemic Christians is because you think you can get it all on Sunday morning. Or all on Thursday in Bible study. It doesn't work like that. You got to be consistent as far as prayer is concerned and as far as a Bible reading regimen. In fact, if you don't pray consistently, or if you don't read your Bible regularly, you are fertilizing your flesh. And the desire of flesh will overrule the desire of the spirit. 
But if you have a consistent devotion, your will gets in line with the will of God. Okay? I hope this is blessing somebody. In other words, I want to suggest that perhaps the reason why so many people are not being all that God would have for them to be is because a lot of us think that we get a one shot a week when in actuality it needs to be done every day. Okay? Verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Enthusiasm without information is dangerous. Zeal without knowledge is dangerous. Desire without duty is dangerous. When the Spirit gives you the desire, you got to act upon it. Good intentions don't mean a thing without good actions. So you have to let the great Holy Spirit produce good intentions that lead to good actions that pleases God. You and I were created to please God. So what am I saying? If the Holy Spirit gives you an intention to do something, but you don't do it, then basically God ain't going to say, well, I know you had good intentions. Because the cliche, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, is true. Right? Good intentions never save anyone. Good intentions does not send one to Flint, Michigan. Good intentions does not do ministry and mission. Right. So you got to have more than zeal and enthusiasm and desire. You got to have follow through. You got to have passion. Let's dig deeper. Now notice something Paul says here in verse 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing, or in the King James Version, without complaining and murmur. So we see Paul here is talking about attitude. Because Paul is well aware of the issue at the Church of Philippi. So first of all, murmur. And when you murmur, that basically means you're complaining and you're grumbling. To dispute means to oppose or question. Grumbling, murmuring, or outward expressions that come from an inward spirit of opposition. Disputing is not the same as disagreeing. Dispute leads to cutting or negative criticism. Disagreement leads to constructive criticism. The person who mumbles, the person who grumbles, always has a spirit of condemnation. 
Have you ever noticed people who always murmur, who always complain, they have a negative disposition? Just got a foul, funky attitude. Constructive criticism has as its underpinning compliments. It builds up. Right? Now, one of the best examples of murmuring and complaining were children of Israel right after God had delivered them from Egypt. And here they are in the wilderness about to be able to go into the promised land and Moses sent out 12 spies. 10 came back with a negative, murmuring, grumbling report. Two came back with constructive criticism. And the 10 who murmured caused the children of Israel to stay in the wilderness for 40 years. All because they were complaining. When you grumble, when you murmur, the Holy Spirit cannot do its perfecting work in us. All right. So let's move forward. Because in verse 15, Paul says that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as light in the world. Paul uses three words here. Blameless, harmless, without fault. Blameless means above reproach. Harmless means pure, sincere. Without fault means without a mark or blemish. So Paul is saying, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we're called to live above reproach, be sincere, and have an unblemished life. All right? That's what Paul is saying. That's what we're called to do. Now, being blameless does not mean being sinless. Perfection. All believers are called to live out their salvation. God has worked in them to progress to spiritual maturity. Pure is connected, or harmless is connected to a word that is being used to talk about wine that has yet to be diluted or metal that has not been weakened in any way. Alright? So, the professing Christian should live above reproach, be sincere, have an unblemished life. Jesus Christ is the example of how we to live this way. This is why Jesus did not come down here fully grown and head directly to the cross. Jesus shows us how to live the way God intends us to live as human beings. Jesus did not rely upon his divinity to live above reproach. He relied upon his relationship with God. Okay. Paul talks about being part of this crooked and perverse generation because the church in Philippi was living in a crazy culture just like we are. Now, it's hard to witness 
to a world when you act like the world. You and I, we're called to be different. We're called to be unique. We are a chosen generation. We are a raw priesthood. There ought to be something different about the believer and the unbeliever. First, the believer ought to walk straight in a crooked world. The believer ought to live holy in an X-rated environment. The believer ought to shine brightly in the midst of a dark culture. So we're called to be different and countercultural to the culture. Paul continues to drill down on this in verse 16 when Paul brings before us what it looks like to really be a follower of Jesus. We are told in verse 16, part 8, holding fast to the word of life. If we're going to make it in this crooked and perverse society, we are to hold fast to the word of life. The word of God is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our pathway. The word of God causes us to have a distinctive life. When you put the principles and the precepts and the practices of God's word into action, we live above reproach. Okay? Paul then says, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Paul is this church spiritual teacher. And Paul was delighted that he had seen them move from infancy to adulthood, from drinking milk to eating solid food. As Christians, as disciples, you should not be stuck on milk. You need to graduate to meat. So if you've been a follower of Jesus, if you've been a disciple of Jesus, uh, there ought to be some signs that you're growing. You should not be stuck on milk and content with soft food. You ought to be eating some meat. Paul also wants them to do the work that is assigned his hand. He did not want any of his works to be done in vain. Why? Because Paul had gone through too much. Been shipwrecked, beat within an inch of his life, had rocks thrown at him, was bitten by a snake, ran out of town on many occasions. Uh, Paul had given up a lot of blood, sweat, and tears as a missionary of the gospel. All right? You and I will not be measured by how often we came to church, how much we paid the tithes and offerings, how well we sang in the choir, how much we gave to charities. Here is what we're going to be measured by. Who did you help lead to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Who are you impacting to have a better walk with Christ as far as the kingdom is concerned? Who are you shaping and forming as far as a life of discipleship? That's what this boils down to. 
If you come to church, if you pay tithes and offerings, if you work in the church, but you're not leading anybody to Christ, that needs to be checked. That needs to be checked. That needs to be checked. Let me get ready to wrap this up, but let's look at verse 17 and 18. Because Paul said, Yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and the service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Paul kind of had in his gut that he's not going to see the Philippians again. Paul kind of felt that he was getting ready to become a martyr like Stephen, like James of the faith. And so when Paul says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering on sacrifice, Paul is using an illustration from the Old Testament. All right? Uh, it is like a libation that when a person gave a sacrifice on the altar, they poured wine on it. And that wine would connect with the fire and create this big puff of smoke. And once that puff of smoke happened, it was the end of the sacrifice for the worship. Right? Blood is shed as the substance for libation. Paul suffered for the sake of the gospel. Most of us really don't know what it means to be persecuted for the sake of righteousness. We think that if somebody look at us funny, that's persecution. No, no, it's not. It's inconvenience. We have some people who are saying that since we, quote, can't go to church because of this pandemic, we're being persecuted. No, we're not being persecuted. We are not we are not experiencing religious persecution in the United States of America. We are not. Let me say this again, and if you don't get anything else, please get this. We are not experiencing persecution in the United States of America. We experience an inconvenience, but we're not being persecuted. The United States government is not telling you you cannot call upon the name of Jesus. The United States government is not stopping, stopping us from coming together in some shape as far as worship is concerned. The United States government is not telling us who to worship. So we're not being persecuted. We're being inconvenienced because of the pandemic. But we're not being persecuted. So somebody needs to tell these folks we're not being persecuted. We are being inconvenienced. Because of a pandemic, because of health concerns, because if we come together inside in a mass gathering, it is very possible that we can spread COVID-19 like they did at the White House. At the nomination of Amy, or whatever her name is. Okay? We are being inconvenienced but not persecuted. You want to know who's being persecuted? Can I tell you who's being persecuted? 
Christians in Iran are being persecuted. Christians in China are being persecuted. <laughs> Christians in certain parts of Africa where there are Islamic strongholds that are under Sharia law are being persecuted. We're not being persecuted here in the United States. We're just being inconvenienced. And that inconvenience is a lot different than being persecuted. That they may come that if we call upon the name of Jesus, we may face persecution, but we're not there here in the United States. But Paul knew what it meant to be persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Paul lost his life called upon the name of Jesus. Christians back then were burned at the stake or fed to the lions or tarred and feathered. Some were even crucified. As a matter of fact, legend has it that Peter was crucified upside down. John was banished to the Isle of Patmos. Right. But Paul says, if I'm being poured out of the sacrifice, I'm glad and I rejoice with you. Paul was saying, even though I'm in prison, I'm not sad, I still got joy. I have joy, not based upon happiness, but joy based upon my relationship. Happiness is based upon what's happening. But joy comes from the Lord. That's why Nehemiah 18, part B says, For the joy of the Lord is my strength. And then Paul says, For the same reason, if I'm happy and glad, I want you to be happy and glad. Paul said, Listen, I know what I'm dealing with. So instead of you worrying, I want you to worship. Instead of you sighing, I want you to shout. Instead of you pouting, I want you to praise God. Instead of you putting your head down, I want you to lift up your head. I want you to praise the Lord because I know I'm going to be all right. And if I'm going to be all right, I want you to celebrate with me that I'm going to be all right. Because if I'm going to be all right, guess what? You're going to be all right. So, so let's engage in this form of praise and thanksgiving unto God because I know that if I live, I got a little bit more work to do, but if I die, I go and I be with God. So either way it goes, guess what? I'm good. As Dr. Paul Jarman said, I'm cool as a coupon. When you know who you are in Jesus Christ, it gives you confidence like God's own pins. I had to get that in there. <laughs> it gives you confidence. Gives you the sense of boldness. And it helps you to understand your purpose. So as I close out this portion of our study, I want you to be able to understand who you are in Christ. That even in this time of pandemic and uncertainty, and chaos, we are called to be living witnesses and examples of God's power, of God's work, of God's will, of God's transformative power as far as our lives are concerned and for the lives of others. And when you're able to do that, 
be it in prison or free, you know that your praise to God is not predicated upon your external circumstances, but your internal fortitude, because you know that you're good with God. Amen. Well, I hope and pray that this time of, of study and enlightenment has been a blessing to you. And as we prepare to leave from this moment of study, I want to encourage you to read the rest of chapter two. And we will be dealing with the rest of chapter two next week. Nevertheless, if you want to support this ministry, we encourage you to give. You can give by sending a check or a money order to the church at 1401 Allen Street, zip code 28205. Or you can call the church and drop off your gift as far as cash, check, or money order here at the church. But if you want to do that, call the church to make sure that someone is here to receive your offering and to put it in the safe so it can be counted on Sunday morning. If you want to give digitally, you can do that through our website or you can do that through the app called Giveify. However you want to give, your gift goes to support the mission and the ministry we do here at St. Paul locally, statewide, nationally, and internationally. Your gift, your generosity, your graciousness, Helps us keep the lights on. Helps us keep the gas on. Help us keep the water flowing. Even though we're not in the building physically, it's helping us doing repair work and upkeep around the church. But even more importantly than that, it's helping us make a difference outside these four walls. So, if you feel led to give, if you're not working, you don't have significant income coming in, you've been laid off, furloughed, or, or your job has been terminated, I'm not expecting you to give. But if you want to give, if you give out of your largesse, I mean, out of your poverty, then God bless you. And God will bless you in an incredible way. But for those who feel led to give, you who are strong, bear the infirmity of the weak. And we're humbled by your generosity. Well, listen, we can make close out. I want to pray for you. For all of those that are watching right now, and we look forward to you joining us on one of our platforms on Sunday morning, for Sunday morning live at nine for the word class, the men, as well as our season saints, the women class at 9.30, and then at four o'clock, our youth and children have their Sunday morning live class. So you can join us as far as that's concerned. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, there's a question. Oh, there's a question before we close. Yes. The question is coming from Sally Duncan. Uh, Pastor, is there a verse of scripture that supports this question? When we get to heaven, we will know our loved one as our mother on earth. No. That is not supported in scripture. We will be brothers and sisters in heaven. Those relationships won't matter. Okay. Any other questions? All right. And, and, and I want to let you all know that in the future, we're going to be able to take questions 
as far as online is concerned. So if you're watching us and you have a question, you put it in the chat. All right, let's close out of prayer. God, thank you for what we have heard. We pray that you give us strength to apply it to our lives so that we can be better disciples for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Lord said the same. We'll see you all virtually soon. I know that we are growing tired of hearing how important this election is. All elections are important. But some elections are more consequential than others. And I cannot think of an election in my lifetime that's more consequential than this one. In fact, I have been telling people, and I sincerely believe, that this may be the most consequential election in this country since the election of 1860. That's when Abraham Lincoln was elected president. And we know the consequences that grew from that one. The Emancipation Proclamation that led to the period of Reconstruction. And we also know of what happened after Reconstruction. And that's why we are so active this year, to make sure that the consequences that flow from this election lead to our pursuit of a more perfect union. That's why I am supporting IWillVote.com. And we were asking everybody to go on the internet to IWillVote.com and get instructions on how best to cast your ballot in your state or your community. This election is so important simply because it's going to be very consequential. So please, whatever church you may belong to, whatever community group you may belong to, fraternity or sorority or Masonic order, your 501c3 status will not be jeopardized by encouraging people to vote. You don't have to tell them who to vote for. That would violate your status. But telling them to vote is a fulfillment of your citizenship as an American. So once again, please go to IWillVote.com. Get the instructions, not just for yourself, but your members of your family and your community. This election is going to be important because it will be so consequential. Thank you. <laughs>